Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning is our second message in a New Year's series that we're doing called DNA. And what we're doing is really taking the opportunity to look at who we are as a small C church, a local church. The personality, the characteristics the Lord has given NC4 as a local body of believers over these past 40 years. Uh, this is the, the 39th year, so we're, we're, we're heading up to a 40th anniversary of the church, and we're embarking on a season of what we know is going to be a lot of transition, a lot of change into the future. And so it's an opportunity for us to look at our DNA. In 1953, the scientists uh, James Watson and Francis Crick discovered the structure of DNA. And it's basically the genetic code that's embedded in every cell of our bodies. It's, it's a long string of information that prescribes each person's recipe, if you will, for how their body grows, what it becomes, as, as well as what's passed on to each new generation. And so you could sum up uh, DNA in the first slide here. DNA enables organisms to develop, survive, and reproduce. Develop, survive, and reproduce. And I think the, the reason that this concept of DNA is relevant to a church is that the New Testament says that the church is not just an organization, it's an organism. It's not just an organization, it's an organism. And, you know, even though organisms, of course, are organized, they're more than just organized. And we do see glimpses of how the church is organized in Scripture, but more than that, it talks about how the church is a living organism. It talks about it in several places as a body, as a temple of living stones. And so organisms are somewhat inconvenient because they're messier than organizations. <laughs> when you have an organism on your hands, it's a little more uncomfortable <laughs> at times. But what's unique about this organism is that it draws life and existence from Jesus himself. That's what's unique about this organism called the church. The church is not just a fan club to talk about our favorite guy, Jesus. It's not just, you know, uh, it's not a place where we honor him and respect him. It's not a place even where we just receive from him. But we're told that the church is actually in Christ, in him. Ephesians 1 even says that the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. What, the fullness. The church is the physical instantiation of Christ on earth. The body of Christ. And so because of that reality, Jesus says in John 15, 4, he tells his disciples this. He says, abide in me and I in you. And that word abide literally means to remain in place. It's a command. It's an imperative. He says, uh, the consequence is that if we will remain in place and dwell in Jesus, he will remain in place and dwell with us. You could also translate that word remain. And so he carries on, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what that means for us this morning is that to continue to thrive, his life must abide in this church body. His life. And I, 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 I felt that life coursing through this place this morning. His DNA must be present throughout the church. And so if you cast your mind back to what we talked about last week, that the church is the household of God, the family of God, what you can see is that in every family, the children bear the DNA of the, the parents, right? The, children's, the children bear their father's DNA. And so there is a unity in that shared DNA across the church universally, globally. But each child measures, uh, each child has a measure of diversity and difference in their DNA, which makes them uniquely the way they are. So there's a shared DNA, but there's a DNA that is unique and diverse within each individual child, each individual uh, group. And so, in preparing for transition into the next year, into the new generation of this church, the elders have been spending time getting together to talk about what is our DNA? What is our DNA? What are the unique traits that God has embedded in this church that have defined its personality, they've guided its development, they've allowed it to survive and thrive, and which we want to pass on into the next generation? And so in looking back at the history of the church, looking back at uh, the times, and one of the questions that we've been looking at was, uh, what have been the times in the history of this church where it has felt most alive, most at the center of its calling? And so we've been talking around that, that question. And in talking about that, we identified five different traits that have always marked NC4 at its best. And so we're, look, we're, we're looking at those one by one through this series. So if you've been around a while, there shouldn't be anything here that's uh, particularly surprising. Maybe at most it's something that you always knew but didn't put words to. And um, if you're newer here, the hope is that these DNA traits would be exhibited in everything that we do, what we value, how we do it um, now and, and uh, as we continue to pass that on into the future. And so I know that I've been extremely inspired as we've been having these conversations because it reminds me of things that I have always loved about this church and C4. And you say, well, Ian, you only got here a year and a half ago. You may not know, I was born into this church. My family was sent out as, as missionaries. And so this was always our home church. For 30 years of my life growing, you know, living outside of the country, this was always where we said we came home to, whatever home means. But these are things that I've always loved about this church, and these are things that God used to confirm to Selena and I that he was calling us to serve here. It was that DNA that made us feel that we knew we feel at home. I do really believe that this series is important right now because God's reminding us of our foundation so that he can rejuvenate our future. And so last week, Pastor Jack spoke about that, that the, the first trait that NC4 has always been consciously a church family. 
That's our paradigm, an, an intergenerational household of God. And so in today's message, we're going to look at a second DNA trait. And as we explore that, um, we're going to see, first of all, two reasons why it's important for us to know our DNA. And then we're going to look at three ways that the scripture says we are to abide in Christ. Two reasons it's important and three ways that we abide in Christ. And so the first reason why it's important to know uh, about our DNA is that DNA predisposes us to certain strengths and weaknesses. Your individual DNA predisposes you to have certain things you're really good at and certain things that you uh, are predisposed to be weak at, potentially. And so the more we know about our DNA, the more we can utilize our strengths and the more we can guard against our weaknesses and help develop the areas where we're naturally weaker. And so in talking about the DNA of churches, if you've spent any time around this thing called the church, big C, at least the Protestant church. Uh, if you spend any time around the church, you, you'd, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there's basically kind of three styles of church. There's three streams of church. And you basically have to pick one and stick with it. And so growing up in Battelle, that meant I was part of the charismatic Pentecostal circles stream of the church. And in that stream of the church, it's known for emphasizing the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so some of my earliest memories growing up are people going full charismaniac in church. You know, I remember asking my dad, you know, why is that woman laughing so much? And why is that man shaking on the floor? And, you know, if you were, you know, there in the 90s, that stuff happened every day. But uh, <laughs> so that's one stream of the church. Now, also growing up in England, I attended a school that was affiliated with the Church of England, the Anglican Church. And so in that setting, I came into contact with a second stream of the church that you could call the liturgical or the sacramental stream uh, of tradition. Uh, it's what the British call bells and smells churches. Some of you understand what that means. There's incense. It's sensory bells and smells. And so uh, in, in that stream, the emphasis is really placed on history. It's placed on the importance of the sacraments, of Eucharist, of baptism. And that's a second stream of the church. And then in adulthood, when Celine and I went for ministry training, we, we ended up training at an evangelical Anglican seminary in the UK. And that was really more steeped in the Reformed tradition. And the emphasis was really on the preaching, the teaching of Scripture. And so we went on later after that to serve in Prague in the Czech Republic in a Czech Brethren church, which was within that Reformed stream of tradition. And so a third stream. And so um, there's spirit churches, there's sacrament churches, and there's word churches. And obviously, you know, the reality is always much more complex than that. But I, I think you can probably recognize those broad brush strokes, right? And so every stream has its caricature of the other streams. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're in the Pentecostal charismatic stream, you may have heard, you know, what's important is the living experience of God, the presence of God. Don't be like those dry, dead, old, fogey, 
frozen chosen churches over there. <laughs> now, in the, in the liturgical sacramental stream, uh, you might hear a different caricature. You might say, you know, what's important is the fact that we are part of a thousands years old tradition. We are part of this long line of saints connected through generations all the way back to the apostles. And so don't be like those churches that don't know their history. Those, you know, architecturally boring churches down the street. <laughs> And then for people in, the, in the, the word stream, you often hear something like, well, what's important is knowing and believing the word of God. Don't be like those shallow emotional churches over there that get all worked up but don't know their Bibles. Now, I've heard all those things over the years. That was meant to be a little bit funny, so don't get, you know, don't get too convicted, but... Uh, I've heard all those things over the years. And, and what I've loved about spending time swimming in all those three streams is that it's, it really taught us to love and appreciate the diversity of the body of Christ. It taught us that faithful believers in all these streams do indeed share the same spirit, do indeed love the same Jesus. And you know what it also did? It also made us better Pentecostal charismatics. <laughs> it made us love and appreciate our background even more, too. Um, contrast is the mother of clarity, uh, Osginus says. And so I, I, I love the attention to Scripture and the depth of learning that's really emphasized in that that word stream. I love the attention to beauty and mystery and the senses that you find in the sacramental stream. I love the vibrant experience of worshiping and, and, and walking daily in the Holy Spirit that you get in the spirit stream. And so each of those streams has emphases that are a strength to the body of Christ. And they express their local DNA in different ways. And so there, there's, those are strengths that we need in the body of Christ. And yes, even though there's certain strengths to that DNA, each of them also is open to potential weaknesses because of those emphases. And I think we're often too quick to point those weaknesses out without recognizing the strengths. So that's the first reason why it's important to be aware, to know our DNA. But the second reason is that DNA guides who we're becoming. DNA guides who we're becoming. It doesn't just sit over there and it's this, you know, uh, um, uh, kind of powerless thing that exists on its own. It impacts us because the church is an organism. The church is always growing. It's growing and becoming something. It's never static. Just in the same way that you are never static. You're not just a human being. You're a human becoming. And so we should be aware of our DNA because our DNA, in turn, is shaping us. We shape our DNA into the culture of the church, and then the culture of the church reciprocates and shapes us in return. And so being aware of our DNA can help us maintain those strengths and develop the areas that we know we're less emphatic on. And so you might be questioning, okay, which of those three does MC4 emphasize? Where does MC4 fit in? Well, I think when you look at the history of this church, even actually beautifully, 
the experience of this morning's service, what you see is that we are in that charismatic stream that pursues and practices the gift of the Spirit. We had prophecy this morning. We pray for healing. We speak in tongues. We invite the presence and the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that this morning. You'll notice that if you stick around. And you'll also notice that we're a church that values scriptural teaching, scriptural foundations, the preaching of the Bible, and puts an emphasis on knowing and, and, and believing the Word of God. You'll also notice that we're a church that makes an emphasis on sacrament. And I, to be honest, I completely forgot we were even doing Eucharist, you know, communion this morning. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. And <laughs> we make an emphasis on the meaning, the importance of the sacraments of Eucharist and baptism. We make an emphasis on how they unite us to Christ and how they unite us to one another. So it's beautiful. I, I forgot we were inviting new members in today. It was perfect. So this is one of the things that I love about this church. And I've loved about the DNA of this church because in my experience, it's actually quite rare that you have all three of those things actively emphasized and pursued. It's, it's somewhat rare. And actually what's cool is we... We, we share this in the, the One Focus network because I've noticed it within One Focus network as well. And so all three of these things are, are pursued and appreciated. And so, but, you know, why am I sharing this? This is not to compare us to other people. This is not to say we're doing it right. I, <laughs> we're certainly not doing everything right. But this is about recognizing how God has shaped this church. It's about recognizing and appreciating the beauty of the wider church as well. We preach the word, we practice the gifts, we discern the body. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be delving into our DNA uh, in each of those three things as well. So we're going to be talking about our DNA trait of biblical teaching, our DNA trait of the presence of God, our DNA trait of, of unity. And so there's, there's really overlap between uh, this week and the next few weeks. But what do you specifically call, you know, there's, I gave you words for each of those three, well, what do you call that convergence of word and body and spirit in our worship? And so the best word that I've come across to describe it is a word coined by uh, Andrew Wilson, who's a British pastor and writer. Uh, he calls it eucharismatic, E-U-charismatic charismatic. Not like you charismatic. You charismatic. And it's the combination of Eucharist and charismatic. And it's also cool if you, if you look into the Greek um, that uh, this also contains the meaning of being thankful for the gifts. Being thankful for the gifts. And so I, I love this word. You could sum it up like this. You charismatic. You charismatic worship converges word, spirit, and sacrament. So you, you can express that also as word, body, and spirit. And so knowing that DNA, recognizing that DNA, knowing that it's important for our discipleship and how we're being shaped, what we want to ask is, how do we maintain our DNA 
in Christ and continue to grow and develop and reproduce healthily generation to generation? Well, Jesus said the answer is to abide in him and he in us. And he, and he says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. So how do we abide in him and his love? When you look at the writings of the Apostle John, uh, 42 out of the 44 uses of this phrase occur in John's writings. And so he spells it out this way. He, it, it's grouped into, you guessed it, <laughs> abiding in, in him by word, abiding in him by body, abiding in him by spirit. And I think if you step back just a second to, to, to look at that, I think it makes perfect sense because how, when you think about it, how do you abide in relationship with any person? How do you abide, how do you remain in deep connected relationship with another person. So for instance, how can a husband and wife learn to abide one another, let alone abide in one another? Well, <laughs> they need to talk firstly, right? It's pretty important. There needs to be communication. But it can't only be words, right? One, you know, if there's communication between husband and wife, that communication should also lead to action that moves their bodies, right? If, you know, if Selena says, because <laughs> this is happening right now as she's pregnant, if you didn't know that, we're pregnant. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's happening a lot right now is extreme thirst and, and, you know, cravings and stuff. And so she's like, Ian, get me a cup of water, right? And so... If I just left it out, oh, wow, thank you, Selena, that you told me to get you a cup of water. I receive that word. You know, I, 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 I claim that word, right? No, that word is dead if it doesn't lead to the action of going and getting the cup of water, right? <laughs> so we actively respond to what our beloved says. That's part of what it means, right? And so there's a physical interaction as well. So it's word and body. But then lastly, <laughs> there should also be some connection of our non-physical selves, the emotions, the soul, the spirit. And if you, if you lack any of those three, how long do you think that this, the depth of this relationship can really last? If there's no communication, no physical interaction, no emotional, spiritual connection, you have to have all three for uh, this relationship to deepen, to, to, to extend, and to carry on through time. And so let's look at each of these three things quickly, okay? We abide in Christ through his word. Now, I'm not going to say a huge amount on any of these because we're going to be covering them in more depth over the next weeks. But um, Jesus tells us in John 8, 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And there's something like seven times where he talks about abiding in his word or his commandments. So, how do you do that? Well, to abide in his word, you have to know 
what his word says. And, like we said, it has to become the foundation of your life. It has to move you into action. There's, so there's two parts. There's hearing, and then there's living, there's, there, or, or you know, acting in obedience. And so this is why we believe that teaching of Scripture is important. Reading of Scripture is important. Study of Scripture, uh, scripture is important because the, it's the written word of Scripture that testifies to Jesus, the Logos, the living word of God. And so it's, it's, um, it's a portal of abiding in him, and that's what he says. And so what's also interesting is that it's not we, we, we abide not only by his word to us, but it also says that we abide by our words about him and to him. So 1 John, uh, the, the letter of 1 John 4.15 says this, whoever confesses, whoever speaks with their mouth that Jesus is the son of God, it says God abides in him and he in God. And so it's, abiding in his word to us, but it's also by our words about him and to him that we abide in him. And so there's a two-way street of communication. So we abide in him by his word. But secondly, we abide in Christ through his body. And there's, there's two or three senses to this. The first sense, John 6, 56 says this. Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me. Now those words are as strange today as when he first said them. Maybe slightly less strange because we have this tradition of communion now, but that is a strange thing to say, is it not? What we're saying, you know, we understand that that was a reference to Eucharist. And in the words of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, it says we feed on Christ in our hearts through the taking of Eucharist. Because Jesus declared that the bread and the wine were his body and his blood. And so that's, that's called a sacrament. And sacrament is the Latin translation of the Greek mysterion, which is mystery. <laughs> it's a reality that's so large that the human mind cannot comprehend it. That's, that's what a mystery is. And so... What Jesus tells us is that through that mystery of physical elements, we somehow have contact with Jesus' body and blood. And it connects us through space and time to him. But the second thing is that it connects us through space and time to each other. It connects us to the body of Christ, the church. So speaking of the church, in 1 John 3.14, it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's the brethren of the church. And chapter 4, verse 12 follows on from that. It says, if we love one another, God abides in us. And so we abide in Christ through his body in the Eucharist, but we abide in Christ through his body, the church. This is why there's, there's no such thing as, as an, a, a lone Christian, a lone ranger Christian out there on their own. No, every Christian is part of the church, and we abide in Christ through being part of his body, the church. 
No Christian is an island, and actually no church should be an island unto itself. The church, with a small C, is always part of the church, with a big C. And so what I love about uh, the DNA of NC4 is that 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 has always been recognized. There's always uh, been an element of uh, connecting across uh, church, uh, you know, walls and and denominations and, and different things. And so, you know, you saw that last year with something like the Moravian Pentecost when we had lots of different churches represented and we've been part of networks in the UK and, and you know, Grace Network and now One Focus. And there's, there's a sense that we are not just, even though we are a non-denominational church, we are not an entity unto ourselves. We are part of the body of Christ. And so we abide in Christ through his body. And then lastly, thirdly, we abide in Christ through his spirit. So Jesus says in John 14, uh, 15 through 17, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then 1 John 4.13 uses that word abide. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so we seek the filling of his, of his spirit. We, we listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 14 that says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And in so doing, build up the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the gifts. You see, they're all interlinked. They all overlap. And we seek the leading of the Spirit so that we abide in Him and that we walk out our DNA in Him. And so that's what it means to be eucharismatic, that we seek to abide in Him in word, in body, and in spirit. And not only do we not need to choose one over the other of those ways of abiding in him, but we need all three present. And we believe we should actively pursue all three of those and continue to actively pursue all three of those to maintain our DNA in Christ, to grow, to replicate healthy maturity as we move into the future. Amen? So you may be listening and hearing about this belonging to Jesus and and abiding in him and and realize that you've never actually initiated uh, that relationship with him. Actually, if he's tugging on your heart right now, he already initiated that relationship and is inviting you into the family. He's inviting you right in this moment. And so if that's you and you have not made that commitment to say, Lord Jesus, I want to remain in you, I want to be part of you and part of your family, then you can enter into that today by faith, which means by trusting him. And you can do that simply by talking to him in prayer. And so if that's you, I just invite you to, to, to pray this prayer of commitment with me right now. And, and for those, uh, the rest of us, I encourage you, you know, if it's not for yourself, it may be for someone else whom you desire 
would know that love and relationship with Jesus. And you can pray this in faith for that invitation to come into their life as well and for that reality to be made real in their life as well. So you can pray with me something like this. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for living my life completely apart from you. Thank you that you loved me so much that you died on the cross for me. Lord, please forgive me for all the ways that I've walked away from you. I now receive your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you are offering me the gift of eternal life, of new life. Jesus, make me a new person. Give me your Holy Spirit right now and transform me. I commit my life to you right now. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.